Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We're not doing this, however, without considering the works we're committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking, if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. So we're in 1 Peter. And last week, as we talked quite a bit about salvation, we've talked a little bit about uh, the idea of heaven and what's to come. If you were here last week, you know that there was a lot of conversation afterwards on these topics. We did post on the Facebook page not only the talk about what we did last week, but also uh, we tagged a previous talk from years ago just on heaven. So if you're interested in that, that's available there as well. But As we are moving forward, we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 12 in chapter 1 today. And remember, Peter said, for we are receiving the outcome of our faith, which is something that is active. We are receiving this outcome of our faith, and that's the salvation of our souls, that that restoration of our souls. This isn't just, again, saving us from hell to go to heaven. We talked about that. The Salvation of our souls is the wholeness of who we are. It is the restoration of who we are, and that includes definitely those things, but it is so much more. And now in verse 10, he goes on and he says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that was to be yours made careful search and inquiry, inquiring about the person or time that the Spirit of Christ within them indicated when it testified in advance to the sufferings destined for Christ and the subsequent glory. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in regard to the thing that they have now been announced to you through those who brought you good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look." 
we've talked so many times about perspective and how important perspective is. Even last week we talked about that, how we are very myoptic, we are very blinded, we are very prejudiced based on where we live, based on the culture we grew up in. Uh, Those things influence who we are so many times that it's hard to see past them because we are living in them. An example would be, you know, if we were born thousands years ago, 2,000 years ago, uh, we would probably believe that the earth was flat. And you might think, no, I wouldn't believe that, but you would. At that time, you would think, no, the world is flat. And for many years, people even used scripture to support that the world was flat. It's kind of funny because we look at it now and we think that's silly. But if you were born in that time, you would start to think that way and that everything would start to be inclusive of the way you think. In Isaiah eleven twelve, it says, he will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. And you would say, see, it has four corners, therefore it must be flat, right? Because the circle doesn't have four corners. And so you would use scripture to support when someone came along and said, I think the world is round. You would say, no. Why? Because that's what everyone said. And then you have a verse like this and you see, see, the Bible says the earth is flat. Now, it doesn't say that that's not the point of Isaiah. But what would happen is your perspective would influence how you see those things. Or even then when they say, okay, the earth is round, but then the earth was the center of the universe. And you would think, yes, the earth is the center of the universe. Why? Because, again, we are very self-focused and we think that we are so great that we must be the center of everything. And then someone comes along and there's some person who's studying the stars and they say, no, you know what? The way things are, are happening and moving, we're the ones who are moving. And you would say, no, that's not true. That's not right. And then you'd probably get some more scripture, which they did, to support your belief that the world, our earth, is the center of the universe. And so they pull scripture like Psalm 96.10, the world is firmly established. It shall never be moved. There it is. The Bible says the earth is the center of the universe. Well, that's not saying that, but your perspective puts that into this place And now that becomes your framework that you start to live out of. You see, the truth is we would have totally believed these things if we were born at these times. And as we started to become more aware of these things, then we start to change our perspective. And then we start to be able to see things a little bit better. The more we learn about creation and how glorious it is, the more we start to see God and how magnificent he is. And that is true not only of the creation and how we see things, but it's true of suffering as well. So when the scripture says, you know, the glory, uh, the creation declares the glory of God, we say, yes, But what if we see that suffering also declares the glory of God? Well, we have the ability to pull back 
and see this perspective as well. That God isn't just seen in the magnificent you know, beauty of a sunrise or the ocean or the mountains, but God's beauty is also seen in suffering. Because Peter is writing to those followers of Christ who are going through incredible persecution and he's wanting to encourage them. And so what he's going to do is try to help them see their life in a different perspective. You know, when we go through suffering, we ask, what's happening to me? What's going on? And when we're in a time of suffering, we usually become uh, very unbalanced, right? You feel like, have you ever been, you know, like you step on a floor that's just been waxed uh, and you had socks on? right? And it's like, whoo, and you're like kind of oh, doing this little dance and you have to get your balance. Sometimes suffering feels like that. It's like, I, I'm uncomfortable. I don't know what's going on. I feel I'm not at ease. We also become very secluded. I'm the only one who's experiencing this. Oh, we might know, oh, I know other people are suffering and I know these things are happening. But when it's happening to us, it's different. Even though we know suffering is happening everywhere at all times and around the world, when it hits us, it's like an unwanted stranger that shows up on our doorstep and we just really feel uncomfortable about it. I watched this video today. Someone posted, you know, one of these things you see. And it was this video of this couple that fell asleep in their home. And they had a two-story home, and they have this camera, I guess, like a nanny cam or something like that. And while they were asleep, there was a stranger who came in the balcony and just stood over them for like 20 minutes looking. Yeah, it just gave me the chills, right? It was like, oh, there's someone just sitting there. Well, that's sometimes what we feel like with suffering. It's just like unwelcomed. We don't want this here, and it puts our life at odds with just everything. And when we enter into suffering... It's like our lives are out of balance. We can't change the past, whatever's happened to us, whether it's by others, by circumstances, or even something that we have done in our choices. But Peter would say to us that when we're experiencing this suffering, that we are experiencing actually salvation. Salvation through suffering, not salvation from suffering. It's something that we are experiencing in this area. Because he says, concerning this salvation, the prophets, verse 10, who prophesied of the grace that was to be yours, made careful search and inquiry, inquiring about the person or time that the Spirit of Christ within them indicated when it testified in advance to the sufferings destined for Christ and the subsequent glory. He's talking about this ahead of time. Peter would say to us that when we are experiencing these things, we are experiencing salvation. Just as the heavens declare the glory of God, so does suffering. And when we talk about salvation again, we're talking about this train wreck of humanity, this brokenness, that all of humanity is feeling and the restoration of humanity. 
which is why Christ came. And again, we spoke about that a little bit last week, a new heavens and a new earth, this restoration of all things. And what God does in this suffering is he takes the momentum of this fall, this brokenness, and he flips it to be something that is now useful and good. When I took Kung Fu, or if you've taken you know, any kind of martial arts, judo, or even wrestling, a lot of times what they want you to do is to not fight against the person, but to use them against themselves. Use their momentum against them. So that if they swing and you pull their arm forward, now they're off balance. So that you're able to flip someone, why? By using their own momentum and not just having to pick someone up. And that's why a little 98-pound person can flip someone who weighs twice as much because they use that person's momentum. Well, God does this kind of judo move on creation, right? He, He takes the brokenness and the suffering and he flips it to produce in us salvation wholeness, restoration. And he does this to bring us into this place. And the question of what's happening to me is you are living in the story of Jesus. And it's an incredible story because the spirit of Christ is and has been at work. And now we have entered into this place and into this story. And it's real important that we see that. And there's some interesting things here where he talks about, in verse 11, inquiring about the person or the time that the spirit of Christ within them, within who? The spirit of Christ within the prophets. What's the spirit of Christ doing way back then in the prophets? So here's a question, just to make you guys think a little bit and to to stir things up. Can you have the spirit of Christ without Jesus? Is the spirit of Christ the same as Jesus? What does Christ mean? Anointed one, Messiah. When was Jesus born? Bethlehem, right? That's when the incarnation took place. There was a moment in time when God became flesh. So how do the prophets have the spirit of Christ if Jesus didn't happen till this time? He always was, the spirit of Christ always was, but Jesus had a moment in time. It's real important. It's part of the incarnation. Jesus was God and man. It wasn't just God. All right, this is very important in theology. The spirit of Christ has always existed. Jesus had a moment in time when he was born. Now, the spirit of Christ was manifest in the person of Jesus. Why is this important? A lot of reasons, but one of the things that we're trying to, to understand here is that 
the Spirit of Christ was speaking through the prophets before Jesus came to connect them to this story that God had been doing and working throughout time. The prophets had the Spirit of Christ within them. They were not serving themselves, but they were serving us. That's what it says. They revealed they were serving not themselves, but you in regard to the things that they have now announced to you through those who brought you the good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. They foretold what Christ was about by the spirit of Christ before Jesus was here for our benefit. They made declaration, uh, uh, an unfolding, uh, exposing, a uh, revealing of who Jesus was, and part of this was the suffering that was there and taking place in Christ himself. And it's important to recognize that. Remember, Christ is the title, anointed one Messiah. Jesus is the name of the man who we know was the Christ. That's why scripture at times will say Jesus of Nazareth. Why is it saying that? They want you to know he was a person. He was this man but he was the Christ. And it's important to understand that because then some scriptures start to, to come out, like Romans chapter 8, verse 9, it says, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Just think about all that that implies if the spirit of Christ has always been and always will be. It's important to see that there is something deep going on here that is eternal, that it's taking place. And we see an example of this idea of the spirit of Christ being revealed through the prophets in the book of Isaiah. And turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53, passage we're all familiar with, but a powerful passage that really gives a declaration of this anointed one, of this Messiah, in a way that helps us to see his purpose and God's purpose as well. This is 700 years before Jesus. He says, who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others. A man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity. And as one from whom others hide their faces, he was despised and we held him of no account. Surely he has borne our infirmities and has carried our diseases. Yet we account him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole. And by his bruises, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut, down, cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people." 
They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. When you make his life When you make his life an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. Through him, the will of the Lord shall prosper. Out of his anguish, he shall see light. He shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And so here we see that Isaiah, having the spirit of Christ, is now unveiling the work that the spirit of Christ would be accomplishing through the person Jesus. John talks about this further as he quotes Isaiah in John 12, 41. He said, Isaiah said this because he saw his glory, Jesus' glory, and spoke about him. See, he saw the glory of Christ and he spoke about him. They preached a salvation of suffering and of glory. That this salvation had to go through the suffering before it could bring about the glory. The apostles continued this message that the Christ suffers because God loves, because God cares, because God is merciful, because God is present, because God sees that this Christ is now glorified. He conquers and he's powerful, that he's able to say to us in our suffering, My grace is sufficient for you. And my strength is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for your weakness, for your vulnerability, for your pain. It's able to call you sons and daughters. Even in our suffering. See, suffering will knock the wind out of us. It, it makes us question. Again, it leaves us unbalanced. But God's love has been demonstrated to us in that very suffering. So I want you to take the things that you're going through right now, the, the suffering that you feel, whether it's emotional, whether it's relational, whether it's physical, and understand that it is grace that shows up in that suffering because Christ has suffered himself. That that's where he shows up and it's where he shows up in us. And so when we ask what's happening to me, we're experiencing salvation. Our perspective has to change. And instead of seeing everything as this is a bad thing, we see things as God is working something even though it hurts, even though it's difficult, even though I feel out of sorts, salvation shows up right here. Our part 
of this story is what Jesus did from suffering to glory. And, and Peter wants them and he wants us to know that they are in the time that the pro- prophets spoke about, that they are living what they had said was going to be taking place, that it wasn't a surprise, That's not, oh no, what's happening to me? Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation, but you can take courage because I've overcome the world. What is he doing? He, he's not saying it's going to go away. He's saying, I am here in it. I have been through it. I am with you in it. And in it is producing something powerful in us. They were at a time hoping for God to bring salvation. They, the prophets, they were looking forward to a time when God was going to bring the salvations that he said angels strain to look at. Angels want to see what this is. Now we are in the time where this salvation is actually being played out. But do you see that Peter saying they talked about it and it was in a time where there would be suffering. And that's the time we find ourselves in. And so we have to have the right perspective and see that although there is suffering, when they looked and inquired, the spirit of Christ within them indicated, it testified in advance to the sufferings that were going to be Christ's. And those sufferings are now also to be ours. See, there is little hope in suffering without salvation, without the idea that something is taking place that is good. If it's just bad, it's just bad. But if there's something there in it, then there is hope through it. And it's important that we see those things and the hope that is there actually in it. See, because we are a part of this larger Jesus story, then we always suffer with hope. It is our inheritance. It is the promise, not only for Christ, but those who are his. And the way we get this better perspective so that we don't believe that the world is flat, that we don't believe that we are the center of the universe and it's all about the things that we're experiencing is we have to reinterpret the moment that we're going through in the light of the story that we are actually in. We have to take our life and recognize that it is a part of a bigger story and that it's not just this little secluded place that we do when we get into this area of suffering where we do seclude ourselves, that we recognize, no, wait, I am a part of the story that the prophets who had the spirit of Christ told about, about the suffering of Christ and about the salvation through the suffering and the glory through the resurrection. That's how we get this perspective. That's how we reinterpret the moment that we're going through in the light of the story that we're in. And if it is the story that's just about us, then it's going to be filled with our failures. It's going to be filled with our suffering, whether it's my fault or it's your fault. It'll become either shame, oh, look how bad I am, or it'll be blame, look how bad you are. And that's all there is. But when we get a different perspective 
then we see that there is more going on than just my story, that God's story is taking place and is at work as well. And so we have to see this present moment in the light of the promise of Christ and that it's bigger. It's a bigger story that we suffer now with Christ and in Christ and sometimes even for Christ if we belong to Christ. Bye, Sherry. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, it says of Jesus, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. That's a mind-boggling scripture. Though he were a son, he learned obedience through the things he suffered. If Jesus learned obedience through suffering, what do we do? Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, for he has graciously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well, because we are children. Privilege. You're privileged. Why am I privileged? Because you believe in him, but you also suffer in him. If we suffer for him, we are his children. Romans chapter 8, verse 15, it says, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption when we cry, Abba, Father. It is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Suffering and glorification are working hand in hand. The sufferings that we go to Paul says, can't be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. How is the glory revealed in us? Through the suffering. It is God's tool to work about salvation in our lives. That's what he said in verse 9, you are receiving the outcome of your faith that trust in Jesus, the salvation of our souls. We suffer now participating in this bigger story. In the brokenness of humanity, we stand as pillars of hope that say there is purpose in spite of all that is going on. We are the backbone of history connecting to the spirit of Christ who has been working throughout all of history. And we are now part of that as we stand in belief what God is doing. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. How do we humble ourselves? We trust God in spite of the suffering and God will give us strength and rise us up because he is here in this suffering 
and working in our lives. We surrender our story, our perspective, before the bigger story, the true story, the clear story. Excuse me, keep getting buzzed here. The clear story. It doesn't take away the pain. It doesn't keep us from the suffering, but it gives us context and meaning for it. The painful thing has become the tool that God is using and the invitation that God used to draw us into his love and into his mercy. Suffering, salvation, and glory is what Jesus uses to accomplish accomplish his purpose in us and in the world. Jesus doesn't save us from suffering, but he saves us through suffering, which began and was foretold concerning his suffering. See, this is the shape of salvation which we go through to experience this resurrected life. It is the journey that we are on if we are his children. It is the journey we have to be on in a broken, fallen world. It is the only journey there is. It is our inheritance, and this is how we receive it. And so Peter is wanting them and God is wanting us to concern, see concerning the salvation that it's not something new. The trouble that they were going through, the prophets talked about. It was something that the angels would strain to see. It was revealed clearly in Christ that those prophets, even though they suffered persecution, they weren't talking about themselves. They were writing these things for them. They were writing these things for us so that we would have understanding about what God was doing and did do in the person of Jesus so that we could have hope and we could have more than hope that we could have purpose and strength through our suffering for the future that God is leading us to. It's our inheritance. The glory that Christ has, we will enjoy. We get the privilege of suffering with him as well. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see a different perspective in these areas of suffering. Lord, I know myself can be so uh, short-sighted and blind to so many things outside of my circumstances. And Lord, I know that you are work and and I know that uh, we are to have faith in you. But Lord, I don't really look at the suffering as the place that you're working so many times. I, I just see a flat world in this area of suffering and help me to be able to change that perspective to be able to see a bigger picture, Lord, to be able to hear what the prophets said concerning your suffering, 
the salvation that you were going to bring through this suffering, that the angels would long to see this, Father, and it is something that has taken place and is something that we get to participate in. And so I pray, Father, that you would help us through this, help us to see you in this, and help us to glorify you in it as well. I do ask these things in Jesus' name. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.